ಪಾಥಯ ಪ್ರತಿಬೋಧಿ ಭಗವತ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಸ್ವಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಸೇನ ಗ್ರಥಿ ಪುರಾಣ ಮುನಿ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಅದ್ವೈತಮೃತವರ್ಷಿಣಿ ಭಗವತಿ ಅಷ್ಟಾದಶಾಧ್ಯಾಯಿ ಅಂಬತ್ವನುಸಂದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತೆಷಿಣಿ ಯಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮವರುಣೇಂದ್ರರುದ್ರಮರುತ ಸ್ತುನ್ವಂತಿ ದಿವ್ಯೈಸ್ತವೈ ವೇದೈಸ್ಸಾಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋಪನಿಷದೈ ಗಾಯಂತಿ ಯಂ ಸಾಮಗಾಹ್ಯಾನವಸ್ಥಿತಗತೇನ ಮನಸ ಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಯೋಗಿನ ಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯಾಸತ್ಯ
the mind, the intellect, this equipment, which is a vehicle for the manifestation of the self. So these vehicles, which is called upadhi in Sanskrit, antavantaha, they are unreal because constantly subject to change. The body changes constantly, the mind also constantly subject to change. And therefore, by definition, they are unreal. Unreal does not mean non-existent. Does not mean that we don't perceive them. Does not mean we don't experience them. Does not mean that we are blind to them. Does not mean that we don't take them into account. It means that it is. it does not have a reality of its own. So unreal is that which is relative reality. It is useful, perceptible, experienced, but that which doesn't have ultimate reality of its own, this is called unreal. This is body, what we call the personality, the body, mind, intellect complex falls in the category of unreal. And to say that even though it appears to be existing, it does not really exist. The real, even though it may not appear to you, it is that alone which exists. And the unreal, even though it is something that is experienced by you, does not really exist. This is from the standpoint of the realities. As we said, what is under discussion is the reality of the things. Apart from emotions, etc. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard for one to say, you mean this body is unreal? This mind is unreal? This apparent world is unreal? And we feel emotionally upset about it. But setting aside any emotional attachment, etc., just looking at it objectively from what we call to analyze or determine the nature of reality. We discussed at great length how anything that is changing depends upon something that is changeless. What is changing is an effect, always depends upon the cause. Cause turns out to be an effect, which depends upon another cause. And thus we keep on reducing, ultimately reduces to what we call that which is beyond the cause and effect, which is plain and simple existence. And everything other than that is unreal. This much one should know. <coughs> and then, this is the main thrust of Bhagavad Gita. is to teach us the nature of reality. Then what? Suppose you know the nature of reality. So what happens? Whatever happens by not knowing the nature of reality will not happen. But what happens when you do not know the nature of reality? What happens when we do not know the nature of self? What is the big danger? What is the big harm in that? The self is real, changeless, everlasting, indestructible. The non-self is unreal, therefore destructible. Suppose I don't take it that way. And I continue to take this personality, this body, mind, etc. as myself. What is harm in that? And in order to understand, explain that, Lord Krishna in the next verse, 19 verse. So 19th and 20th verses are quotations from Upanishads. So in various places, Lord Krishna also quotes the same mantras, all with some modifications, the mantras from the Upanishads. To show that the teaching of Bhagavad Gita is essentially the same as the teaching of the Upanishads. And tells here, what is the nature of ignorance? And what happens when I do not know myself in its true nature? What kind of notions or what kind of complexes arise? And that is pointed out in the verse 19, which says, Yaenam Vetti Hantaram Yaschenam Manyatehatam 
उभौतौ न विजानित है नायम हंति न हन्यते ये एनम वेत्य हंतारम द वन हु टेक्स द सेल्फ एज हंतारम एज ए किलर यश्च एनम मन्यते हतम एंड द अदर वन हु टेक्स द सेल्फ एज किल्ड दिस इज यूजुअली व्हाट वी टेक आवर सेल्फ टू बी व्हेन आई डू समथिंग देन व्हाट डू आई से आई डिड इट and when something happens to me what do i say something happened to me some injury happened to me some happiness happened to me some insult happened to me or whatever it is and all of these are assumed or taken to be happening to the self and whenever i do something it is i the self who has done it now when the self or the atman is taken to be a doer as an agent of action then i take myself a doer or agent of action it brings about the phenomenal complex that i am the doer and the doer always has a sense of responsibility about what is being done and therefore the doer she brings about what we call the sense of guilt always because whenever i fail to do something which is not in keeping with my values or whenever i fail to meet my own values my own image then there arises a sense of guilt and then when i do something which i think is proper there arises a sense of again a well being a success and perhaps a pride so usually when i do something which i think is wonderful usually what arises in me is pride of having done something good and when i wind up doing something which goes against my values that arises in me a sense of guilt because i think that i have failed to do something which i should have done kim aham sadhuna karavam kim aham paapam karavam iti very often we have the sense of regret why did i not do that which i should have done or why did i do that which i should not have done therefore taking the self of the atma as the agent of action as a doer brings about what we call the sense of regret brings about the sense of guilt and all the subsequent difficulties and the problems created by that <clears throat> and similarly also when someone does hurts me in some way either physically or hurts me emotionally or hurts me in some other way then what do i say i am hurt and thus when i take myself as the one who is subject to being acted upon then there arises the sense of hurt so when i take the self to be one who acts there likely arises a sense of guilt or regret and when i take the self to the one who is subject to being to be acted upon then very often there arises a sense of hurt so these basic problems that we have of hurt and guilt both of them arise on account of ignorance of the nature of the self that the self does not act nor can the self be acted upon this is the truth that bhagavad gita brings before us and ignorance of this truth is the root cause of all the problems centered on i we said earlier also that there are two kinds of problems one is a set of problems centered on what we call non i or non self centered on idam centered on this centered on object 
and other is a set of problems centered on I or the subject. These two problems are of different categories and therefore require different kinds of solutions. And therefore, problem of heat and cold, comfort and discomfort, hunger and thirst, poverty, etc. All are these problems which are centered on what we call non-self. And therefore, we have to seek solutions which are appropriate for those problems. However, the problem of hurt, problem of guilt, problem of sadness, these are the problems which are centered upon I. And they cannot be solved by any kind of an effort that we make at the objective level. No changes around me or no kind of a progress that I make outwardly will be able to resolve this problem of hurt or guilt or sadness. Yes, to solve the problem of hunger, I must require food. To solve the problem of thirst, I must require drink. To protect the body from heat and cold, I must have a shelter. Nobody denies this. And this one has to do, if one considers it necessary to do. But if you think that the problem of hurt and guilt and sadness can be solved, by money or by shelter or by any kind of an outer arrangement, well, that will not be because this problem of hurt and guilt is problem centered on I and therefore no kind of changes or modification in non-I or non-self can, can solve that problem. So Gita primarily deals with the problem centered on I. Subsequently we will find that even the problems centered on non-I, meaning the problems centered with the objects, they do not have that edge which today they have. Every situation outward, you know, any situation outside uh, has a tremendous impact upon me because the basic problem is with me. But when I have settled account with myself, I will find that even the world also does not remain really a problem. There are what we call situations alright, but the kind of problems that the situations create will not be there if I have settled account with the self. And therefore Lord Krishna, quoting a mantra here from Kathopanishad, with slight variations in words, says, Yaenam vetihantaram yaschenam manyatehatam Yeh means whoever takes the self as hantaram. Hantaram meaning kartaram. One who takes the self as an agent of the action of killing. Now we must know here that this action of killing is merely an illustration, an example, any action for that matter. But since the context in Bhagavad Gita is of killing and being killed, Arjuna thought that he would be the instrument, he would be the one to kill all these people. And as all these people will be those who will be killed by him. And that, that idea brought about a tremendous sense of grief in him. Therefore, the Lord is addressing the problem of killing and being killed. However, killing is an action. And therefore, what applies to this typical action of killing will also apply to any action for that matter. And therefore, the one who takes a self as the agent of killing or agent of any action. Yaschenam manyatehatam And the other fellow, other person who takes a self as being killed or as being beaten or as being the one that is subject of action. 
So action has a, an agent and action has an, an object. That is called karma in English and in Sanskrit. So when I, for example, perform, let's say, action of speaking or action of eating, that I am the subject who performs the action of eating and food is the object upon which the action is being performed. If I am performing an action of splitting wood, then I am the agent who performs action and wood is the object upon which the action is being performed. So every action involves an agent as well as an object upon which the action is performed. Agent also is required, object also is required. When I am speaking, I am the agent of the act of speaking. And these words are those which are being spoken. Or perhaps listeners are those who are the objects of the speech. So every action involves an agent of action as well as an object upon which the action is performed or that which becomes the object of action. Here Lord Krishna says that Nayam hantir hanyate Ayamatma nahanti Ayamatma nahanyate This Atma or the Self it does not kill nor is it being killed. It means that the Self cannot become the agent of an action such as killing nor can the self become an object of action such as killing. Meaning Atma cannot kill anybody, nor can Atma be killed by anybody. Meaning Atma does not perform any action, nor can an action be performed, or Atma can become the object of performance of any action. So it, it cannot become, it cannot be subjected to an action, nor can it become an agent of action. And therefore, this being the case, whoever takes the self as agent of action, he doesn't know. And the other person who takes self as being acted upon, he also does not know the true nature of the self. So here Lord Krishna defines what is ignorance. This is a beautiful verse in which Lord Krishna defines what is ignorance. Ignorance is that which results into this kind of notions on my part, where I take the Atma or the Self as the agent of action. Then what is Atma? Atma or the Self is actionless. It does not participate in any action. It is untouched by this body, mind and intellect and therefore unconnected with anything. That being the case, it is not a part of this complex and therefore it does not perform any action nor any action is being performed upon Atman. Then who performs all these actions? In the third chapter, this will be further explained. Prakrutehe kriyamanani gunaihi karmani sarvashah ahankara vimudhatma kartahamiti manyate The Lord Krishna further explains the mechanism of action. At this time it is not explained. At this time, Lord is merely revealing, as we said, the nature of reality. But subsequently the idea is further elaborated that it is these gunas, the sattva, rajas and tamas. These gunas, they are the qualities. Sattva as you say it means tranquility, rajas means activity and tamas means dullness. This personality is essentially made up of these three gunas or these three qualities. Either there is tranquility or there is action or there is dullness. 
or slothfulness or sleep. So therefore, sattva, rajas and tamas, these three gunas or qualities is what makes up this personality. Lord Krishna says, gudaihi karmani kriyamanani sarvashaha. It is three, these three gunas, these three qualities, sattva, rajas and tamas that perform all the actions. It is sattva, rajas and tamas, these three gunas that make up this body, make up the mind, make up the intellect, make up what we call the personality or the upadi. And that means that all the actions are performed by the personality. All actions are performed by the Upadi. And how come people take them to be the agent of action? Ahankara vimurhatma kartahamiti manyate. The one whose atma, the antahkaranam, one whose mind is deluded on account of ahankara, on account of identification. Kartahamiti manyate. That person takes the self to be karta or an agent of action. This is called the phenomenon of identification, which we have explained a number of times. In identification, there is the forgetting of oneself and taking up something else which the self is not. Just as when I am watching a movie and I am absorbed in watching the movie, I get so identified with the events happening in the movie, that often I forget myself and I experience essentially the same pleasures and pains that are experienced by the person in the movie. And if some tragedy is going on there, then tears start rolling from my eyes who is nothing but a spectator and nothing has happened to him. And still I find that tears are rolling from my eyes. Or if some, some battle happens there and a victory happens there, I jump here as though it is my victory. So this is a common experience. We have we commonly experienced this phenomenon called identification. Go to the racetrack and watch the people when they are watching this racehorse. First, everybody is sitting there around and as soon as the shot is fired and the horses, they start, everybody just gets up. And then everybody is so totally, you know, I mean, I identified with that. As the horses go, to see the people also going that way. And these fellows pant also. Perhaps the horses don't get exhausted as much as this audience gets exhausted. And when the race is over, they just collapse. And the fellows who lost, they think that they lost this race. Even though it is a horse that has lost the race, this fellow thinks that he has lost it. And the horse wins the race, this fellow feels he has won the race. So this is what happens on account of identification. That we forget ourselves and we get so identified one with another object that even though there is no physical connection between the two, the identification which is strictly at the level of mind brings about as though a, a connection between them. And therefore, we sympathetically seem to experience the same thing that the object with which I am identifying that experiences. This is called identification, called Adhyaropa in Sanskrit. And similarly also, there is an identification with this body, identification with the mind. Even though mind is something that is an object of my knowledge, even though I am the one who knows the thoughts occurring in my mind. And I am comparable to a spectator. Just as I am a spectator of this, the various scenes, things taking place on the movie screen, and so, so I am a spectator with reference to the various thoughts and emotions of my mind. 
That's why I know them. And knower is necessarily different from the knower. But then, I so much identify with my mind, which is like a parade of thoughts. And I'm a witness of the parade of thoughts. But forgetting that I'm a witness, I get identified and therefore, I also get swept under the current of the thoughts. And I become as good or as bad as the thoughts. So actions are performed by these qualities, meaning by the body, mind and intellect complex. On account of identification with this, I take, the self takes itself to be the agent of action. And that is why each one of us feels that I am the doer, I am doing something. Whenever this kind of thing is discussed, there arises a question, but it is my experience that I am doing something. It is my experience also that somebody does something to me. How can you deny that experience? Somebody insulted me, somebody helped me, somebody praised me, and I do experience that, and therefore it is my experience that I am doing things. It is also my experience that things are done upon me. How do you say that I or the self is devoid of any action? That it is free from action? As we said, our experience is really not the knowledge. It is an experience arising from identification. Naturally we are identified with the body, with the mind and therefore there is this conclusion on our part that I am a doer, I am an agent of action. Because if I was an agent of action, that must always persist. We must know one thing, the nature is that which should always persist. For example, if honey is sweet, it must be consistently sweet. And similarly also, if Atma or the Self were an agent of action, then it must consistently act, keep on acting. That's not so. Very often I experience myself as the one who is devoid of any action. Like in deep sleep, there is no action at all. I am not even an agent of action. And therefore, that I am an actor is not a consistent thing. That I am an experiencer is not a consistent thing about I. What is consistent thing about I is just I am and that I am aware. That existence, awareness is the only consistent thing about I and that alone is the nature. Other things are the notions arising on account of identification. Therefore Lord says, Both these people do not know. The one who takes the self as an agent of action and the one who takes the self as one acted upon, both of them do not know because the self neither acts nor does it become an object of action. <coughs> Why is this so? Because Atma or the self is avikriya, he is free from any change or modification. We must know that the actor or the, the agent of action is always subject to change. Right now I am speaking, then I am a speaker. Little later I may become listener, then I may become eater, then I may become a chanter, I may become a walker. So agent of action is constantly subject to change. Whereas Atma or the self is changeless. And therefore not even, the, it is necessary that the one that performs action must undergo change. With reference to the kind of action that is performed. Atma, the self is changeless. And therefore it cannot be the agent of action. So in next mantra, Lord Krishna shows how Atma is changeless. Also, a famous mantra which is quoted from Kathopanishad. Najayate mriyateva kadachit nayam bhutva bhavitavan bhuyah ajo nitya shashvatoyam purana 
न हन्यते हन्यमाने शरीरे सिर्फ न जायते the self न जायते is not born न मरियते वा कदाचित self is never born कदाचित न मरियते nor does it ever die self is never born nor does it ever die now what happens is when a thing is free from birth and death that means that that thing is free from every other modification because modifications are possible only in that which is born it is said that whatever is born is subject to six fold modifications asti it is jayate it is born vardate it grows viparinamate it becomes mature apakshyate it declines vinashyati it gets destroyed like the body is is born it grows becomes mature declines and ultimately perishes so this six fold modifications are bound, bound to be there in anything that is born here lord krishna says the self is not born when self is not born then naturally it cannot have any other modification at all so that which is born must grow it will grow up to a certain point becomes mature having grown to that point it will become mature it will decline and ultimately it will perish lord krishna says najayate mriyate va kadachit self is neither born nor does it die which means that all the in between modifications between the birth and death are also not present in the self so self is devoid of all vikriyations meaning vikriyas meaning all modifications <coughs> and that is being explained how do you say that atma is not born nayam bhutva bhavitavan bhuyah na ayam bhutva bhuyah na abhavita that is death so what is called death death is for a thing which is there at a given point in time and not there at another point in time this is called the phenomenon of death that the person is now and not later so that which is now and not later when something is now and not later then we know that it is subject to death or what is birth something is not there now and comes into being this is called birth so birth requires a prior non existence and death requires what we call posterior non existence meaning non existence means absence so child is born when at a moment before which it was not and the moment in which it came into being then the doctor can say the child is born at such and such moment because before that moment the child was not the non existence or absence of child is necessary to establish its birth and when we say the person died at a given time when do we say up to this point the person was and beyond that point the person is not that is called posterior non existence atma or the self does not suffer from this there is no prior non existence now there is posterior non existence you cannot say that the self was not at a given point in time and then came into being even though the scientists will tell us that there was no consciousness before some billion years and then consciousness came into manif being when the matter matter combined in a certain 
in, in what they call primordial soup. So they believe that consciousness is something that is born. We say no, consciousness, the self ever is. Because can anybody ever witness the birth of oneself? Or can anybody witness the death of oneself? For me to say, for me to say that I am born, you know what is required? I must be present before my birth. I cannot ever witness my own birth. Because when can I witness birth? The witness to the birth must be the one who must be present before the birth. And never, the self can never witness its birth. Nor can the self witness its death. Because in order to witness death, I must be, the witness must be present after the phenomenon of death. To determine the phenomenon called death, the witness must be present after the event of death. And therefore, I can never witness my own death. I cannot determine my own birth, nor can I be the proof of my own death. So that is alright. But somebody else can watch your birth and death. Alright. What do we watch? We do watch the birth and death alright. But birth and death of what? When I say that a person is born, what is born? Or what is it that do I see as being born? What I see is the body being born. And since we always associate the self or the Atma with the body, therefore we believe that the self is born. But actually, what we perceive is only the body. The self or the consciousness cannot be perceived. <coughs> it cannot be perceived by the senses. It cannot be perceived by the mind. And therefore, what we are perceiving, namely body, alone is born. One consciousness cannot see another consciousness. A consciousness can objectify body, can objectify the mind. I can see you, the body. I can perhaps infer you, the mind. But I can never see or can perceive you, the consciousness. Understand that consciousness ever is a seer, it can never be seen. And this matter is that which is seen, it can never become seer. That which is seen or perceived must necessarily be inert, it must be matter. And that which is seeing or perceiving must necessarily be conscious. A perceiver must always be a conscious being. And that which he perceives must be an inert thing. An inert thing is always perceived, it can never perceive. The conscious being is always perceiver, it can never be perceived. And therefore, what can I perceive? I can only perceive that which is matter, that which is inert, that which requires to be eliminated. And therefore, when I watch the birth of a given thing, it is birth not of the spirit, birth not of the awareness, birth of the body, birth of the matter. And therefore, neither can I see my own birth or death, nor can anyone see the birth of death of I, which is consciousness. Yes, people can see the birth and death of the body, provided I wear the body. But I am the one who is awareness, as we see in the morning in the Tattvavoda, Sthula Sukshma Karana Sariraj Vatiriktaha. The self is the one who is distinct from the gross, subtle and the causal bodies. These gross and subtle and causal bodies can be seen or inferred 
the self is not subject to being perceived and therefore na jayate nayam bhutva bhavitavan bhuyaha there never was a time when consciousness was not nor will there ever be a time when consciousness will not be because even the time also i am conscious of the consciousness or i is that which even illumines the time illumines the place and therefore it is that which is beyond the time and place and therefore not limited by time and place therefore ajah nityah shashvatoyam puranah the self is ajah unborn nityah indestructible shashvatah puranah so shashvatah that which is not subject to decay puranah that which is not subject to growth nahanyate hanyamane sharire the self is not hurt when the body is hurt swami that is not my experience when the body is hurt i know that i am hurt but is it so there are moments when the body is hurt and i don't see that i am hurt when i am fast asleep even when something happens to the body often i don't know that's the reason why in india when you wake up in the morning you find 15 mosquito bites all over your body you did not know about them because there was no identification of the body and if you were the agent of vaccines very often in the, in the deep sleep people do all kinds of thing they walk also they kick when two three fellows are sleeping side by side you know then quite often children are sleeping at night you know some kicking also takes place but we don't punish them for that why because he has not done it that's not a deliberate action so that shows that there is no agent of the, the self is not the agent of action and that we experience when we are in the state of deep sleep <clears throat> and so it is true that we have such a strong and natural identification with the body that when the body is hurt i feel that i am hurt when the body does something i say that i am doing something it is true that we say this it is true that it is our experience but still bhagavad gita wants us to really investigate and determine for ourselves that am i the body or am i someone other than the body the body remains here and even then the body dies the body is born the self that will say later on how that in after one or two verses itself will say how just as old garments are given up for the man a new garments are taken up so so one body is given up and another body is taken up that shows that the one who discards the garment and one who wears the garment is different from the garments and so also the self discards old body body and takes up a new body and that is how the separation between the body and the self is established even by illustrations and this was also earlier earlier brought up in short atma or the self is free from any modification and in order for the self to be the agent of action it is necessary that it must be subject to modification the agent of action is one who constantly changes depending upon what action is being performed but the self is not available for change and therefore all changes take place only in matter they take place in the body and in the mind the self is ever 
the changeless awareness which is the witness <coughs> it doesn't perform any action nor any action can be performed therefore what is the ultimate result of this of this knowledge what about a wise man who has a knowledge of the self so how is his state of mind whatever that is what is said in the verse 21 veda vinashanam nityam yena majam avyayam katham sapurushah partha kam ghatayati hantikam veda avinashanam nityam yenam ajam avyayam yenam ajam avyayam avinashanam nityam veda yeh means who this is the the one who knows the self who is what ajam unborn avyayam that which does not suffer any exhaustion or decay avinashanam that which cannot be destroyed nityam that which is eternal so when one knows the self to be free from birth and death and changes <coughs> and therefore eternal meaning free from all modifications we said earlier that when the phenomenon of birth is there then alone subsequent changes are possible when one knows the self as free from birth and death and any modification therefore one knows the self as what also free from the agency of action free from the agency of experience the self is neither actor nor experiencer because action and experience both of them are kinds of modifications the self is devoid of modification and therefore is neither karta nor bhokta neither doer nor enjoyer yah enam atmanam veda one knows the self in this manner katham sapurushah partha kam ghatayati hantikam he partha he arjuna sah purushah free from birth and death and all changes sah katham ghatayati kam ghatayati katham hanti kam hanti how can he kill and who will he kill or katham ghatayati how can even make someone else do something so person who knows the self as devoid of all modifications and therefore free from the sense of agency agency of action and experience neither can he kill anybody nor can even direct anyone to kill because somebody may think that look arjuna is killing because lord krishna is directing him to kill so arjuna can be perhaps charged with the act of killing and lord krishna even though he did not direct the kill he asked arjuna you kill and therefore he can be accused of being the agent of or the one who is director of killing or cause of killing he says the self or the atma cannot kill nor can it cause anything else to kill meaning there is no doership nor there is any directorship in the self it does not do anything nor does it ask anyone or nor does it direct anyone to do anything so kartrutvam and karaitratvam doership as well as the causal cause for doership none of that none of this two is in self 
Therefore, the one who has a true knowledge of oneself just simply becomes free from these complexes. That's all the result is, nothing else. Nothing changes with the person. Only thing that now he knows is what? That naiva kinchit karvamiri, I don't do anything. Yukto manyeta tattvavit, fifth chapter describes. Naiva kinchit karvamiri, yukto manyeta tattvavit, pasyan shrunvan sprasanjigran, asnan gachan svapan shvasan, pralapan visrujan grunhan, unmishan nimishan nabi, indriyani indriyarthesu vartante, iti dharayan. So this wise man, in spite of all the actions going on around himself, action of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, speaking, eating, drinking, all the actions are going on. And even when all the actions are going on, what does the wise man say or what is his vision? Naiva kinchit karomiti, I don't do anything at all. Then what is his action? Indriyani indriyaseshu vartante. It is the sense organs which are interacting with sense objects. What we call action is nothing but the interaction between the sense organs and the sense objects. Then who are you? I am just a witness, an uninvolved witness in whose presence all the actions take place. Just as in the presence of sun, all the actions take place on the earth, he is just witness, uninvolved witness. Similarly also the self is uninvolved witness in whose presence the actions take place, but then which does not get involved in any action. And therefore, these notions on my part, that I am the doer and I am the enjoyer, the wise man becomes free from all the notions pertaining to self. And it is these notions about the self, which are the cause of all the problems centered upon self. What are the problems? The sense of hurt sense of guilt. When can there be guilt? When I do something. But when I or the self does not do anything, there is no question of any right and wrong and therefore there is no question of guilt. And when can there be hurt? When the self can be acted upon. But when the self cannot be acted upon, there cannot be also this hurt. So this ultimate vision that all the complexes which are denoted by these two words hurt and guilt and includes every other complex. I am right, wrong, good, bad, success, failure, any number of complexes that we have, all of these arise only because I take the self as the agent of action. And all the sadness and all suffering arises because I take the self as the object of action. And when the self is known in its true nature, one just becomes free from these complexes. Then what should I do? Then do whatever you want to do. Because then the question doesn't remain what I should do. It is that bondage which expresses itself in terms of this hurt and guilt. That bondage is no more there. And therefore you are free. So this is a freedom. Freedom is not a physical phenomenon. Or freedom is nothing, no particular thing happening as such. Freedom is merely this knowledge which makes me free from all the various notions and complexes. Thus the wise man, when we say the wise person is free, means only that the person is free from all the notions and all the complexes which arose from the ignorance of the true nature of self. That's all the freedom is. Then there is no other physical phenomenon. 
Katham Sapurushah Partha and the 15th chapter also says in, in reference to this verse Sarva Karmani Manasa Sanyasyaste Sukhamvashi Navadware Puredehi Naivakurvan Nakaren describes a wise man Navadware Puredehi this wise person is one the enlightened one is one who dwells in this body the body is compared to a city city of nine gates which are all the different openings in our body so the city of nine gates which is body in this city this wise man lives he dwells happily dwells in the city of nine gates meaning the body how does he dwell naiva kurvan nakaryan not doing anything nor making anyone do anything because doing and making do all of these only are at the level of the upadi, at the level of the complex, at the level of personality. The person is ever free from doing or making anyone do. Sarva karmani manasa sanyasya. This is called sanyasa or the renunciation. The true definition of renunciation is to know that the self is always renunciate. Self is always uninvolved, unrelated, unconnected not doer, nor enjoyer, unaffected. And that knowledge itself is called the sannyasa or renunciation of the ultimate nature. So this one, whether he wears the clothes of renunciate or not, but he is a true renunciate. By the knowledge, he has renounced all the actions. Renunciation is not an action. Renunciation is the knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the self, who is by nature a renunciate. The real renunciate is the self because unconnected, uninvolved, unaffected. And knowing the self as such is called renunciation. That is the kind of renunciation or sannyasa described in the fifth chapter. So, sarva karmani manasa sannyasyaste sukhamvashi. This enlightened person dwells happily in the body, neither doing anything nor making anyone do. What is the difference between that person and us? You think that he dwells in the body and we dwell in a different place? Self dwells in the body. What is so different about wise man and the other wise man? The only difference is the wise person knows, otherwise does not know. Therefore, when you ask me, where are you sitting, Swamiji? I am sitting on the dais. If I ask you, where are you sitting? We are sitting on the floor. In fact, I am sitting in the body and not on the dais. What is sitting on the dais is the body. What is sitting on the floor of the seat is the body. What do I say? I am sitting on the floor. What does it show? That shows that I am identified with the body. So even though the fact is, whether the person is wise or otherwise, the truth of the self is the same. However, one does not know the self to be different from the body and therefore takes the body as a self. And therefore always says, I am seated here, I am seated on the floor, or what it is. You don't have to say this, but one has to know that I am seated in the body. It is body that is seated on the floor. It is body that is seated in the place. Body that moves from one place to other. The speech that speaks. The eyes that see. And who am I? I am the one in whose presence all these functions take place. <coughs> This was also the subject matter of Kathopanishad. When it was said, Shrotrasya Shrotram, Manasaha Manaha. 
how the self was described that as the ear of the ear the mind of the mind the the eye of the eye meaning that because of which the mind functions because of which the ear speech all of these faculties function in whose presence everything functions which himself does not function and the same truth is revealed here by lord krishna that the nature of the self is is avikriya hai it is devoid of all modifications therefore devoid of kartrutva and bhoktrutva doership and enjoyership and therefore devoid of all the notions and complexes and therefore devoid of all the problems centered upon the self and the wise man who knows the self as such also becomes free from all the problems centered upon the self because those problems all arise from notions which notions arise from ignorance <coughs> पूर्णमद पूर्णमद पूर्णमुदच्यते पूर्ण से पूर्णमदा पूर्णमेवशिष्य शाशाचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यत वंदे भगवतौनपुनशरो गुरुरात्मे मूर्तिद विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणमूर्त नम ओं शाति 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 हरि ओम श्री गुरुभ्यो नमः हरि ओम